0: Hi there, everyone. This is Patrick McFarlane here of the Liberty Weekly podcast coming at you with another episode. Uh, this one should be episode 145. And on the line with me, I'm very glad and happy to be joined by Monica, Monica Perez and Brad Binkley of The Propaganda Report. Guys, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks yeah, for, thanks having, for us. having
0: us. Yeah, well, I, I think that my audience should be relatively familiar with your work. But uh, could, do you guys just want to introduce yourselves quick?
1: Sure. I'm Monica Perez. We have a show. Binkley and I do. Our platform is the Propaganda Report. Every day we do a show called the Drive Time News Blast, which is really meant to kind of replace mainstream daily news blasts that you get from the radio, but it's from the perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. And then we also do deep dives. We are now doing that exclusively on Rockfin videos. That's where. Pinkley goes deep on pulling the video from people like the CFR from the World Economic Forum. And we just analyze what those guys are up to in their own words. I mean, anyone who thinks that conspiracy theories are just theories really need to watch those. And then just on the propaganda report proper, we do a lot of interviews with just people we find interesting. So we have a lot of content out there. Um, but if people are interested, I think that the real unique thing is that we do a show every day that covers the news from a different, you know, pulls back the curtain on the propaganda.
2: Yeah, isn't it? yeah, and I'm Brad and I, I confirm and agree with everything that was just stated.
1: <laughs> Which is a rare thing. That is not how our conversations normally go.
0: Well, I, I really enjoy, um as, as I said, you know, I listen to you guys a lot, but I really enjoy the dynamic that you guys have going. And isn't it crazy the amount of stuff that is just open source? And you guys had uh James Corbett on a few, I think a week or two ago, maybe a few weeks more. It, it, it kind of all blends together.
1: Yes, it was actually at the beginning of the, quote, pandemic. But it feels like it was just yesterday because actually... I mean, not a lot has changed. We thought we'd be on the uh, at the end, you know that they told us we'd get be at the end, but actually at that time, we talked about how that they had been saying all along it was gonna be eighteen months, so from the very beginning, especially in that conversation with Corbett, <clears throat> we were on the same page, I think on that one are, are yeah, and
2: time definitely feels
0: compressed through this whole totally. thing totally. I was gonna say, are you kidding that it was actually at the beginning? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was like in April, wow. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that, that, that blows my mind. But um, I, the thing that's really struck me, I mean, I haven't watched mainstream media news in quite some time. I mean, I'm younger generation, but it's just so blatantly propagandistic now that you got to go to alternative media sources to really get any semblance of truth.
1: And then I think they have a whole nother layer of those sources that it's harder to recognize because they're on the Internet. And they're not the like the mainstream thing. That's kind of how I feel about the Q thing. It's that they offer you, it's almost like they they have something for everyone. So if you smell a rat and you want to peel the onion or you know the mixed metaphors, they have something for you. Or if you're hyper intellectual and you think you know everything, they have you know the Atlantic. You know, they just there's a there's propaganda for everyone, and I think it comes from every medium. And that's why I actually think the younger generations and this we did talk to Corbett about in a conversation we had with him. I guess we talked to him a couple of times, but that the older generation, like my mom, listens to Fox News and she's kind of gravitating towards One America News and Newsmax. Like she knows there's something wrong with fake news. But then. The younger generation, like my kids, like they get their news from TikTok, you know, they get their news from just absolute nothing emptiness. And I feel like in between where certainly I was kind of like saw the Internet when they were still trying to convince us that the Internet was totally, uh, you know, independent and they in order to get us all into it, they had to give us a lot of truth. So I feel like we're this like narrow range of people who remember what woke
2: meant when it meant woke. Yeah, like 40% of people, like over 40% of people get their news from social media now. So that's why they're trying to clamp down. One of the reasons why they're trying to clamp down and, and control the information flow that is allowed on those networks and segregate certain opinions to parlor or Gab or, or wherever so they can demonize an entire broad base of people and say, come here. We tell you who's authoritative and who's not. If you don't listen to us, we're going to throw you over into parlor.
1: And they like they're fine with having those. I think they like those subsets, those subcultures so that they can make sure that those people are on a certain page. They what they don't want is critical thinking and truth. I think they really that's why I feel like they replaced Ron Paul with Trump. Like, we know you're annoyed. You smell a rat. So we're going to take that emotion and sever it from the ideology that you were looking for and just tap into the emotions of it. And I feel like that's what they do with a lot of the, what is it, sidestream or alt media, that, it, that that too is just in a silo. That too is an echo chamber.
2: Yeah, everybody's eager to join a team, to join a side when they should be eager to ask questions, even of their own side, to criticize those who they support as well.
0: And it's been interesting to watch it all happen in real time because I, I know people like us. I mean, I've been doing this, I don't know, for maybe five, four or five years now, but seeing it all happen in world, t- real time and saying these things. And at least for myself, not really believing that it would take place, but being very like alarmed that it is <laughs> and not being happy to like be calling things. But, um, so I go ahead. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I mean, it's just amazing that. The way as I was, I've been doing this for this will be my tenth year. And I've been I've been trying to explain to people for for uh, since the beginning that that the politicians lie, that they set up the media lies, that they set up events so that they can promote policies that would not otherwise catch on. And as like it got crazier and crazier, like to me, the Trump phenomenon is just crazy. Like this is not all the Republicans used to call into my show, and I had a terrestrial show, and complain about Obama. Were not complaining because he wasn't um, rude to Maxine Waters. They were complaining that we were losing our grip on the Bill of Rights, and then. They gave him Trump and they're happy about it. You know, that's that's just crazy to me. And and this whole COVID thing, we talked about event 201, which is probably what got me thrown off that terrestrial radio coming and saying, like, look, this is what's about to happen. And they they laid that roadmap out before anyone even got sick. So if it happens this way, they cooked it up. And still, people believe it, and you know that's what's really mind blowing to me. Is that it, it, I'm now convinced that they're the majority of people refuse to see the truth. They will not do it.
2: Yeah, and when they're blinded by emotion, they're not even in a, a mental state to do it. And it's easy to let confirmation bias make you think that you're thinking logically when. Emotion is kind of what's driving your thought. And I'm not I'm not claiming to be above that. I'm absolutely no, guilty of that. I <laughs>
1: think, no, I think that what they do, so we see Event 201 tell us about coronavirus, and we see all the great stuff that you bring from Brookings or CFR or the World Economic Forum. I've been looking at World Economic Forum white papers for years that start with how to shape the future of food, how to shape the future of tech, how to shape the future. You know, they talk about how they are planning to shape the future. What you probably don't see as much, although sometimes you do when you see Cass Sunstein write a book, uh, a paper about cognitive infiltration. And I've seen a lot a a slideshow on memetics, like how to use memes to change the culture. What you probably and you can like stuff you've brought, Binkley, about propaganda and psychology. You can actually find evidence of even down to studies and everything where they are figuring out how. To to manipulate people in just this way. I'm not saying people are stupid and emotional. I'm saying the level of manipulation is so sophisticated that they don't people don't even realize that what's in order is thinking and and that the media is so completely devoid of any that their purpose is not at all to report things at all. It's simply propaganda. And people just don't see that. And I think it's because they this is a hundred year plan to make sure people can't see it anymore.
2: Yeah. Fake news gets criticized a lot, but that's because it's being judged as news when they're propagandists. And when you judge them as propagandists, they're doing a great job. If they're actual journalists, they'd be doing a terrible job, but that's not what their objective is. And Monica, you're right. They have over a hundred years head start psychologically learning how to psychologically manipulate in far more well-funded and they design it to come from within people so outside of the awareness of the public which is can really be mind-spinning at times but in my opinion i think the harder that you question the people that you support Twice or three times as hard as people that you don't support, the more likely you are to to not be to not fall victim to that propaganda because you already don't believe those who you don't identify with and agree with the quote opposition. You already don't right. believe them, which means that they're not the ones that are most likely to propagandize you. The ones that you are more likely to be less critical of, or not even critical of at all, are the ones the propagandists are going to put their messages in their mouth to get to you.
1: It's my contrary law of democracy. That's right. Your side. Isn't the the other side is never going to bring you what you're most afraid of. It's going to take your guy to do that. And that is true. And also with the way the propaganda works and the idea of this hundred year head start, you can see how they shaped education. And the culture, so and it you can call it incrementalism or whatever, but it it's just it was I I think the difference between or what makes people think that I'm crazy, is that it's deliberate. So you see Dewey, who was the education guy. There's a few Deweys in our history, but the one who was I think John it's John Dewey. Dewey, yeah, who shaped education that he really wanted. It, it's and and then you can fast forward to Charlotte Ezerby, who talks about kind of separating out civics from like she was in the department of education under Reagan and she warns us against STEM science technology engineering and math as being a the worst way and you can look at Adam Smith and also the Greeks and Romans for this it's the worst way to educate self-governing people because it 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 cordons off thinking and production From civics and humanity and rights and all that. And I think it's really instructive to remember that the reason they call the liberal arts the liberal arts is that only free men were allowed that. So if you're, if you're, if your slaves are smarter than you, like the Greeks are smarter than the Romans, you need to make sure that you can get the work out of them. They were the accountants and stuff. They ran their plantations. They were slaves who had high, they had high levels of authority. But they were not taught the liberal arts. And I think that's where it started with Dewey and kind of went all the way down the line to where now we can we're we no longer really think. And and then on top of that, they plug us into this like stimulation machine. And this like COVID thing is that I mean, I really it's almost it's almost visceral to think that there's that like a matrix cord in the back of your neck you know i just want to go and my kids just rip it out of the wall I'm like i'm afraid it's going to rip out a little bit of their spinal column
0: <laughs> well it, it's funny how all this kind of uh, i don't know it's it's underneath this idea especially i'm going to latch on to the matrix because i love that movie and the analogy but i never really put mo- like most people probably never really put two and two together of what the analogy really is and i i'm not familiar with the Wachowski twins as much I'm sure, didn't they put another kind of spin on it? Do you know how familiar you guys are with the Matrix?
1: No, no. Did they put a spin on
2: it recently? I know both of them, aren't both of them transgender? Yeah, but...
1: The Facebook guys?
2: No, the Matrix. People who did the Matrix.
1: Oh, right, right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, what was that? No, what was that? Well,
0: I I don't know. I'm sure that to us, clearly, the analogy is to the state. And seeing, you know, reading anatomy of the state and figuring out the true nature of the state. Um, however, I I would assume that if, if that was put to the Wachowski twins, they would come up with some kind of alternative explanation for what the matrix is when it's clearly, I think what we're referring to is basically the state is a human farm.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think. It's just so telling when you look at, I think it's Total Recall, Demolition Man, and The Matrix. They all have the people living in the tunnels. And yeah. then if you read that World Economic Forum article that's gotten so much play since we first saw it emerge, but it was from 2016 where it's, it says, it's 2030, I own nothing, I have no privacy, and I'm happy towards the end. And actually, I didn't realize that until a tweet pointed it out to me, Dean, I think. That towards the end, it says, we feel bad for the people who cannot make this transition. They live in the outer places. They, you know, he's talking about tunnel people. And that same tweet sent me a video from a couple of years ago where they were actually training soldiers to deal with the tunnel communities. Literally, people who lived in tunnels, like all it's it's anticipated by them. And and that makes me like really I feel a little overwhelmed. I try I, I try to stay ahead. We talk about stuff that we can, we oftentimes see, see things that are coming a month or six months or a year down the road. But when I think about how, how long ago was Demolition Man, you know, how long ago was The Matrix and these things, Demolition Man, I mean, I'm in LA now. Every restaurant is Taco Bell. Like they literally <laughs> <laughs> closed all the restaurants so i'm a, i I just can't even i don't think i can e i even have the imagination for what they where we are in the rollout and what's what's ahead. I don't think the great reset tells it all
2: i I thought this was the case with the matrix, but I wanted to look it up before I said it. yeah, the directors came out and said the matrix is a trans metaphor that's um, what they came out okay and said.
0: yes okay <laughs> well, that makes sense, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Huh. I don't know, because, look, the guy who decides to go back to blue pill himself, he mm. enjoys the steak. He's happier. Are they saying, no. you know what I mean? I, I call they BS say that the that. film
2: was originally intended to be that, but the world wasn't ready for it and until recently, where they have recently announced it. Because both of the, the guys who did it, both yeah, are trans.
1: No, I understand what you're saying, but I, I call BS on that, because if you look at the metaphor – the blue pill guy is happier in denial. And I think that the trans theme would be you are only happy, you know, when you're free. I don't know. I'm not buying you'll it. You'll have to you'll I'm, have to talk to those it. two
2: those two I don't know how to address them, but those two filmmakers about it.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think it's BS.
2: Well, Mark It sounds like it sounds a little current.
1: Yeah.
0: Mark Passio did like a deep dive six hour lecture on the matrix. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but he, he gets yeah. it. there's so much to, it. you just got to watch it. I'll put it in the show. Really? Notes. Yeah. It, it was really good. Um, you really? know, in typical Mark Passio delivery, it was great.
1: You have to see it.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to latch on to something that I think Binkley, you said maybe last week in terms of you made, and this goes into like the 100 years um, that we just talked about of this role, the propaganda rollout in World War One. And I can't remember exactly what analogy I think that you made to World War One sometime last week. I'm sorry, I'm not prepared. <laughs> but uh, I, do you
2: recall that? Well, I talk about World War One a lot. I vaguely recall. I don't remember a specific analogy. What What I usually talk about with World War One is. The British, the Wellington House, the propaganda house for the British, they wanted the United States to get into the war on on their side. And the U.S. wanted to remain neutral. And so they sent a bunch of literary agents. They actually sent them around the world, but they sent them to the United States, and they set up like little sleeper cells. And these guys were – well-known in the intellectual community and sir gilbert parker was the guy who led it over here h hg wells he did this in another country i can't remember which country he was the leader of it in but we had sir gilbert parker and they targeted the the academics the people who thought themselves intellectuals celebrities because they thought them to be the most gull- not, not gullible, but the easiest marks because they could play to their egos. They could have a, a duke or a lord come over to their party, and they would want to show that off to their friends. So they found them to be the ones that one wouldn't think that they would be able to be conned, and two would be easiest to have their their ego manipulated with a celebrity that they recognize in the literary community. And Sir Gilbert Parker and Lord Wellington, not Lord Wellington. I can't remember the the Lord's name that he that led up the Wellington House. It slips my mind. But they their correspondents mock how gullible and easy to manipulate these intellectuals are. I, I mean, it's they they send these calls. They're 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 letting us do this. They're letting us do that. They don't even question. I mean, they mock them basically. And here they are. If you go to an intellectual right now. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like People think that they have these certain positions that they're, they can't be conned, and I think part of that is that they're training people to recognize, quote, disinformation, which is the most basic surface level uh, of propaganda, but it makes them feel immune and it makes them feel like, oh, I study this and I study that. Therefore, I know this, and I think it's the same thing going on right now all over again. I don't know if it's the British, but I think that type of manipulation is, is going on.
0: I totally agree with you, and I it struck me because, and part of the reason why I wanted you guys to come on, not to promote promote my own work, but it's like, I'm working on this documentary right now, doing a deep dive on World War I, and the propaganda that rolled out, especially in Britain, and I'm trying to steal people to act the way that conscientious objectors did in World War in Britain during that time, and there's so many parallels that I really, you know, my ears pricked up when you guys talked about it because it, it really is. And I, I got some quotes, some audio quotes from people who lived in Great Britain during that time talking about the propaganda campaign, uh, all the posters trying to get people to enlist. And That's awesome. I, I even found, um, history, history is so funny because, um, well, I got into the Lord Ponsonby, uh, propaganda in wartime. There's that piece. I'm not that's not the correct title. Propaganda
2: in wartime. Yeah,
0: that's it. Isn't it or lies falsehood in wartime
2: there? Yeah, there's well, propaganda in wartime is 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 a book. There is falsehoods in wartime Mm -hmm. that has all like the false flags that they they listed out that was used to to convince people that that we needed to go all the atrocity propaganda. Basically, yeah, it was Northcliffe. It was Lord Northcliffe. That was the guy who headed up the Wellington house. It's funny because I saw one of the Miami Herald people who – it might have even been the one, Julie Brown, who, quote, broke the Jeffrey Epstein story. And really all she did to get that Pulitzer or whatever it was she won, is she actually covered up the most damning information and released everything else. So she lied for them to protect really the the Clintons, to be honest with you. But um, she had a quote of Lord Northcliffe in her in her bio is either her or one of her colleagues. And I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, this person even know what Lord Northcliffe, what he was, what his, his job was to con America. And after the war, there was disillusionment in America because it was discovered that, that, that we didn't want to go to that war. And we got bamboozled into it by the British who then just kind of swept it all under the rug. And they, I think they've been doing it ever since then personally. Yeah, I would
0: agree. Yeah. And it was also that in In more recently, there was an artist who took old World War One propaganda posters and slapped masks and reimagined them. (laughs) And so, I mean, that goes into to what you just said with Northcliffe. So
2: that's it's like when they put they got Martin Luther King murals in Atlanta, and they put mask on them, and then they have the signs signs in people's yards, and then they'll quote Martin Luther King, or they'll say something like Martin Luther King. I can't remember what the exact phrase was. He used one of his terminology. Oh, I have a dream that you'll stay home and wear a mask. So just alter Martin Luther King quotes like he said that. Wow. Yeah.
0: I mean, you you can't you can't make this up. You really can't. <laughs> yeah. And it, th- some of the atrocity propaganda stories, I they just sound a lot like what we're hearing and bombarded with all the time is this idea of. You know, oh, we're going to bring in a special uh, medical ship and park it in the harbor in San Francisco and New York City and set up all these and all the hospitals are overrun. I mean, in in World War One, there were these in I mean, have you heard any specific stories about that you've heard through word of mouth about people dying from covid or people?
1: Every single story I've heard like that, every single solitary one, the person was put on a ventilator.
2: Yep. That's the so same, same for me. Yeah.
1: For me, and given that my brother was diagnosed with AIDS and had no symptoms whatsoever, and then they gave him AZT and he died. I'm like, ventilators are the new AZT. Same guy, Fauci. I've been noticing that also with the Trump administration is like they take these, these deep state guys who've been through it all and like Bill Barr or Elliot Abrams and even Mueller, and they just take these these... These people who can be counted on to see through any operation,
2: repurpose
1: Yeah, and they don't have to worry. They don't. That, like that, is is a good answer to a lot of what people like question conspiracies. They say, "Well, how could you keep it quiet?" I'm like, "Well, can't you see that they make sure the fewest possible people even know about it?" And the more I think about it, when I was looking into some of the Biden stuff, uh. I was reading, you probably heard us talk about it last week. There was a list of, I'm going to say like 15 Democrats that that guy, Tony Bobulinski told would be the contacts for phase one of this project. That was a joint venture between a Chinese investment company and the Bidens. And on that list were several people who were running for president. Most of the people are in the news prominently every day this year and the one person who really stood out to me on that list, the, I think maybe the only person of color was Kamala Harris. So I had thought, like, why would you pick Kamala Harris? She's charmless. She's was a cop. Like, I just could not really figure it out. And 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 when I go to the sometimes that that just the greed answer is part of the answer, like that Burisma stuff and John Kerry and. All of those guys being in on it, they were getting a lot of money out of, I don't know if it was the World Bank or the IMF or both of them, like money was a big part of all this. I, I've always got like the conspiracy, there's some bigger purpose, you look at the World Economic Forum, and you can see that they're literally trying to change the world, whether it's for money or not. But with this, it was very kind of um, money-oriented, very banal, I guess, and she was one of those people who I feel like they just wanted somebody who was already in the club. You don't want to let any more people in. And she probably had been through some trials like she was went out with Willie Brown, who supposedly was, I think, what didn't he have a reputation for um, a lot of political shenanigans behind the scenes, if I'm not mistaken. So she probably made her bones in that world. And she was he had to pick somebody of color, probably. She's also uh, compromised yeah. that story. I'll, I talk
2: about it a lot. Nobody really talks about it. The Knights Templar story with her aide who went around telling police departments that he and his buddies were part of the oldest police force, the Knights Templar, and that they were exercising jurisdiction over 33 states, police, police precincts, and, and all of Mexico they were exercising police jurisdiction over, and th- they were ultimately arrested for impersonating police officers. And they said, when asked if Kamala knew about this, he said, yes, she knew about it, and she approved of it, and they tried to kind of write it off as, oh, he he was a low-level staffer. He wasn't a low-level staffer. He worked directly underneath Kamala, and he got – Special thanks because he was part of the special committee on truancy in 2014, the year before this happened. So his work had been praised by her administration. And that report, that full report, because I found it on the Wayback Machine is the only special thanks section in the truancy documents that they have 2014, 15, 16, and 17, I believe. They're all there. The special thanks portion is in every single one of those except the one the year that he was in, which was twenty fourteen, I believe. That's the only one missing from the website. And I found it on the way back machine. And the, and the three people that were involved, one of them, he, 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 the one who worked for her, he kind of mysteriously just kind of got off, and the, the charges were dropped. The guy, the other guy who claimed to be the grandmaster and is photographed with Bill Clinton, is photographed with Maxine Waters, is photographed with all these other people. They even won an Emmy. He won, he won an Emmy for journalism like back in the 90s. Well, the day before his trial, he dropped dead, and there's YouTube videos of him talking about – Please, they're coming to get me. There's a hit on me. He's even saying, help me, Kamala. Help me, Barack. They're they're coming after me. The investigator's coming after me is what he said. And the only one that served any time was the female who the investigator said was just kind of like tagging along with the other guys. So she, she's got a lot of weird stuff in her background, and maybe she's compromised because of that. But it, I just find it so bizarre that that story, which is you can find it easily in the newspapers right now in the archives in San Francisco. Nobody ever brings it up. It's just so strange to me. I guess it shouldn't be but it is. Well, my
0: concern is that they're going to start disappearing these open source documents. I, and you I guess you've kind of seen that already but um with I am still kind of trying to think of what's the best way to try and preserve them. I mean like archive.org do you use that or otherwise I've been trying to upload things onto library or You got to
1: upload it. The only thing yeah. I did a lot of stuff on like back in the day I During that time when I was saying the Internet was was open and you could find anything and it it absolutely shut down on February 14th, 2018. I'm not saying it wasn't already shutting down, but that was it. You could not find like a witness video from iPhones at the Parkland shooting like that was the first time it just absolutely stopped. I called it and then shortly thereafter was removed myself. I should have seen that coming. But. Back in the day, I would actually crack the code on stuff. I did MH370, um, the the plane that went down over Indonesia, uh, Miriam Carey, that chick who was gunned down by the Capitol Police, the Boston Marathon bombing. I did a lot of work on that. And the Boston Marathon bombing, I had in my mind, I don't know what made me start doing it. I did upload a few things and they were just like news reports and stuff. It wasn't even insider stuff but i and now when i go back the only stuff i have is that everything else is is just dead links everything
0: yeah i've noticed that not not to call him out but i've noticed it on some of james corbett's stuff i i've been he's he's one of the people that got me into podcasting and into this space but some of that stuff and i think that's what kind of shocked me because he's always been saying you know like save it put it on a hard drive put it on another hard drive And then there's some of his stuff
1: is unavailable. If you click through
0: some of it. Yeah. If you click, I mean, I don't know.
1: He obviously has more resources than I do, but I can't even personally go back and restore, go through my WordPress stuff. I had so many articles and stuff that I would have to, even though someone helped me like save it just to go back and fix the formatting and everything. It's just overwhelming. I can't, I cannot. There's, there's so much. I just gave up completely. And, you know, I don't even care anymore because there's if people. How am I going to wake people up? Right. People don't. The way to do it is, say, with the Boston Marathon bombing, you have to. You have to talk to somebody who saw it unfold. So my brother, I sent him an article and I said, does this sound right to you? And I forgot like he's not And he, you know, he's not in the rabbit hole or anything. And he was like, well, yeah, the Sarnayevs like killed those people in a drug deal and whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, no, I can't even, I can't even get, I can't even put our heads together because you don't even realize that that's not a true part of the story. Like I was trying to dig even deeper than that. But, but then I said, look, this is what really happened. And he was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe it because I was sure blah, blah, blah. So it took this guy who already knew the story for me to red pill him on that story. But I couldn't do it to my kids because they don't remember that story. And then anything that they do remember, like the Parkland thing, that there that material isn't there. So I could go back and try to pull it all down. But, you know, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't have a lot of hope and I tried to red pill a lot of people over the years, and I'm not sure how many people I really succeeded in, even when we had all those resources. I just don't know. I mean, then, actually, to tell you the truth, because I did get so much resistance on terrestrial radio, well, I just, I stopped really worrying about that. And I said, look, anything anyone tells you about terrorists or this or shootings or whatever, may be true, may not be true. But you have to see, they will immediately suggest that their policy, which will encroach on your rights and will violate the Bill of Rights, is necessary because the world is different now. Because the founders didn't know about terrorists, when of course they did, and probably more than we do. And I mean, I'm sure they were accused of being terrorists, they were hung for being th- terrorists. So you just have to look at it and say, hey, you don't need to know the truth of the story they're telling you. You just need to point out that the story they're telling you is irrelevant we've emerged ten thousand years of fundamental law in a biological environment, and we have these expectations of individual liberty and personal responsibility that we are capable of, and we are going to address this problem in that context and and nine out of ten times, if the laws had been followed, then that would have answered the problem they're saying they had. So I stopped trying to restore all that stuff i mean i'm not saying i yeah it would be i really like especially the research stuff the uh, medical research when you find old old articles about hiv or masks or what uh, uh the earlier trials of coronavirus vaccines and stuff that stuff is invaluable invaluable but yeah i'm guessing that they that the doors will close on that as well
2: yeah, the best place I've found to find deep-dive information, really, other than the think tanks themselves, is, is archives, is newspaper archives. And if they if those go away, then you're just going to be getting exactly what Google feeds us.
1: And I think they are purging the Wayback Machine a little bit.
2: They are. I've heard that they are as well. I've heard that too, yeah.
1: Because you can see how many fewer hits you have. and. Yeah. They don't go far back. It Used to be just a jillions of like. There was yeah. never something I couldn't find.
2: And there's stuff there that I've checked from our old site that's not there on the Wayback Machine. Because I was looking for some of that John Ossoff stuff, and it's gone. It's not even on the Wayback Machine.
0: I wonder if this is a, this is a role for for listeners of the show to do? Is you know, if you have time, go check the links, and if one of them's broken, shoot me an email or find the original source and relink it i mean i I think we all gotta work together
1: yeah that's a good idea and for me what was most devastating is i used to take so many screenshots of pictures i just had like hundreds of pictures like charlie evdo you can see you can literally see the cop not die you know like the bullet ricochet off of the sidewalk and the cop's still like begging for his life and i mean it's just a picture you can't do anything and that stuff's the all the pictures are gone all of them and it's hard to dig those up because is it a link i don't know i can't even i don't even get what the little you know it's just disappeared the images disappeared well, there's something like little numbers and letters but i don't i
0: i, don't I wonder know. if if the things disappear and then they reemerge altered in terms of I mean, there's the famous video or the picture of the Soviets over the Reichstag that's been altered. But even going back I in doing this documentary I'm working on, I wonder sometimes if these old historical photos of people wearing masks during the Spanish flu pandemic. I wonder. I mean, I have nothing to suggest, but some of them look a little weird. I don't, <laughs> that's just my feeling. A I good, that's a good
2: question. Yeah. And if yeah. you
1: look into the mask thing there, I just... I just did a cursory search and I read one article that had this place in Ohio, county in Ohio, that had the lowest rate of Spanish flu, had no masks. And San Francisco, which is famous for the masks, had, I think, the highest rate really? of the flu. And you could say, well, that, they had to do the masks because they had the highest rate of the flu. I think it was after the fact. So I always thought that thing about the masks I said they probably knew, they were probably trying to recreate all of it, the conflict, the increased sickness, the 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 feeling of because when I look around now it's so obvious that if you didn't see people wearing masks you would just not be thinking about it anymore yeah you just wouldn't be thinking it's a about reminder it. That's yeah it's a great point yeah. and
2: they had that anti mask league of San Francisco back during that pandemic and they've been bringing that up lately to to demonize People right now who don't want to wear masks. You know, there was the Anti Mask League back in San Francisco back in 19. 19- I'm, I'm, I'm half surprised the Wikipedia entry for that is that the 1918 Anti Mask League was a group of alt right Trump supporters right. who opposed <laughs> yeah, exactly. the mask. Proud boys, yeah, yeah.
1: Pre Nazis, not proto. But like, yeah, proto Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious.
0: Well, B- Binkley, you said that, I don't know, last week. I, I'm just, but you had said that if, if you didn't watch the mainstream media, you probably wouldn't even know that COVID was a thing. And I think you said that, but I've been yeah, saying that Yeah, the Amish for probably have like a
1: zero infection yeah. rate.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, up at Lake Oconee, and my my brother hangs out up there a lot over the summer. He told me there's people he talked to who had no idea what it was. It's wow. more of a very rural area. Yeah. I had no idea what it was. That's crazy.
1: What? Like straight out of Ozark, man. Yeah.
0: I, <laughs> that's where they filmed those on part getting of the a little
1: hillbilly. yeah yeah
0: i I've heard too. I don't know if I heard this on your guys' show, but I also heard that uh there's a theory that the Spanish flu was not actually a flu and that it was just pneumonia oh. caused by masks.
1: Well, I don't I, know if it was caused by masks, but there's a couple or, of things that that there were articles, of course, these are the kind of things you have to worry about disappearing, but two, uh, actually numerous different factors but one two big factors were they had just aspirin had just kind of caught on and they weren't aware of the dosing aspirin i think is a coal tar extract a lot of these medicines so the Rockefellers were literally snake oil sales and then they were petroleum, actual oil salesmen. And they were always looking for ways to use the waste because not only do you want to make money out out of it, but you don't want to have to dispose of it anyway. So like gasoline was a byproduct, a waste product of, I think like lamp oil or something, kerosene, I can't remember. But gasoline was a secondary product of the petroleum. And so a lot of your kind of what they call Rockefeller medicine, these chemicals are, their pharmaceuticals are chemicals derived from stuff that is not food for us. And that, and aspirin is one of those things. And they were totally, I don't know if they were reckless or ignorant or what about the dosing. So they would take triple digit numbers of what were called grains back then, which would be basically like taking a whole bottle of aspirin. And it would have such an extreme effect that that's why that supposedly is where or one of the theories and things I've read is that like when people said she was fine and I was watching Downton Abbey. I mean, I've watched basically anything I could get my hands on in during this past year with nothing else to do at night. But they were they said, oh, well, that's the way the Spanish flu is, because it was during that time. That's the way the Spanish flu is. You wake up, you're fine and you're dead by the end of the day. And from what I read, that was from people taking the equivalent of a bottle of aspirin when you had like some slight problem. And then the other thing was, I think Binkley pointed out the bacterial pneumonia was a bigger killer than the viral pneumonia at that time.
2: Yeah, and I think it was even Fauci that authored one of the articles about that, if I recall correctly. But yeah, it was- found the bacteria will led to most of the deaths.
1: Yeah. And but the bottom line is like with every when I go back and read historical stuff, anthropological stuff, archaeological stuff, when they talk about all these great pandemics that shaped the history of mankind, I it's like people dying. You know, if you if you dig in, you're oftentimes, if not always, find a ventilator. When you these pandemics, you almost always find like malnutrition or overpopulation or monocropping or like some unexpained, you know, lead in the water, you know, something that you didn't know. They, they use lead drinking vessels, you know, or they didn't rotate the crops, you know. And then you have this revolution where they fix that problem. But whether you think of germ theory as like these germs come out of nowhere and they attack really healthy people, you know, that that they haven't proven. That's called germ theory. But the other theory of it being terrain theory can work with germs, but the underlying thing is you have these weakened, you have a weight weakened condition. And so if it's bacteria, it's bacteria, whatever, you know, a microbe that can eat away at that soft lung tissue, or you don't have the mucosa to keep it healthy or whatever it is. It's oftentimes a function of the, uh, Uh, An ill-underlying organism, and during the Spanish flu, it was hitting hard because of the malnutrition and the displacement of populations and everything around World War One. Think about the devastation of World War One. You would expect the weakened body to die or whatever. Bacterial pneumonia. I was just saying today, AIDS. I I remember this now because I we watched my brother die. That people they he had pneumonia. They're like, oh yeah, pneumonia is really like the signature illness of AIDS. (laughs) But you know what I think back? It's just a signature illness. It's what happens to you when you're sick. Your lungs don't function properly, and it becomes a habitat for those microorganisms. And I don't imagine the Spanish flu is any different.
2: Yeah, that is what they say about AIDS. I remember thinking back on that now too. It's the person always dies of a weakened immune system. Is what they attribute to pneumonia. pneumonia,
1: is the thing that gets you when you have a weakened immune system. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to invent a pandemic, the best thing you could possibly do to get people to believe in it is to say, oh, will you actually die of pneumonia.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it,
1: everybody, yeah. people are dying of pneumonia anyway. You're Sick right. people die of pneumonia, even if they don't die. Of, I mean, congestive heart failure can make you die of pneumonia.
2: And it's, it's just, just so untrustworthy, the reporting on it. I mean, it's so untrust. Like we talked about earlier today, the story was largest single day number of deaths that exceeds that of nine eleven and exceeds that of D Day. Happens to also fall on the same day that the vaccine has finally arrived. Those two just kind of right at the same time happen. It's just give me a break. Is it's it's a narrative. It's right out of a movie. And I,
0: before I forget, this issue with vents. This is, of course, anecdotal, but there's someone on our block that works at one of the local hospitals. And I think she's an ex-tech. And she's been saying that since the beginning, all the doctors at her hospital know that putting someone on a vent in a condition like this is the kiss of death. I don't know how they couldn't
2: know that. I mean, (laughs) I know that. My mom was on a vent for a while. the
1: speech, Binkley? They give you the speech.
2: They do. They, They pull you aside in some instances. And they tell you that they might not come off of the vent ever if they get on one because their lungs atrophy and it's very scary to try and get off. The the longer you're on a vent, the weaker and weaker and weaker your lungs become and the harder and harder it becomes to actually successfully get off of it. You have to do what's called these short breathing tests in order to wean off of the ventilator. And I've done a lot of research uh, on this because I would take these studies into the doctors because I could see that they were doing the – The physical doctor stuff, but the psychological aspect of it, they were not doing well at. And I showed them these studies that showed that the people who get off ventilators successfully – are surrounded by, they have a support network. They, the psychological factor is just as prominent as the physical factor in that the way you talk to them, the way that you listen, to because they can't talk. You can't talk when you're on a ventilator. You have the thing in your mouth. You probably have hospital delirium, so you're probably seeing and hearing well, some crazy things. give you drugs too. And the drugs factor into that as well. So it's a terrifying experience for the people from what I understand, from the experience that I've seen and from what I've read about, just horrifying you can't communicate to the world and the things that you're hearing from the doctors is oftentimes they because you can't talk it's easy to think that that you can't hear so they'll just say things in front of like so and so is probably not going to make it another don't say that in front of somebody who's already terrified yet that stuff is happening and when people are in this pandemic and they're being isolated by themselves Half of the, the the prominent thing needed, the vital thing needed. This is showing. This is following the science needed to survive is completely stripped away when you are by yourself, no support network, and no no people trained in the emotional psychological aspect of getting off of it.
1: And I think that the drugs they give you when you're on that stuff have a bigger impact than you think. I mean, when you look at the yeah. statistics for people who die of drugs being prescribed properly who get side effects it's called iatrogenic illness and it's a major you know 25 30% as the conservative estimates of how you get sick and i had a minor like i cut uh the ligament in my toe it's a very gross story but it didn't hurt or anything um i don't know why but i had to get it sewn up and they put you under and they gave me like a bottle of i thought great drugs so it was a very minor thing. I was on crutches for a long time, but it was basically minor thing. But for days afterwards, I felt really ill and I wondered I was like, how can you know, how what is this? Is it was it anesthesia? Was it how can I be ill? And then I realized it was those damn thing, you know, whatever it was, oxy or something like it just kind of makes you feel sick and yeah. and it, it and I'm not saying that, you know, they're just imagining that they're sick. I do not think that is the way to optimal healing. You know, that wasn't the way to optimal healing. Like as soon as I stopped taking them, I was, you know, back on my feet. I felt completely normal. And then you can eat properly, drink properly, get some sunlight, walk around. I just, I feel like they, once you head down that path and then there was that article in April about, they took people who over 65, who had COVID and of the group they put on ventilators, ninety. 7.2% died and of the group they didn't put on ventilators, 26% died. And you could say that they separated the groups out perfectly, but then just take the groups that you know are absolutely positively going to die and spare them that agony. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it just makes no sense at any level. And, and that's what I, that that's when I start thinking that it's, That somebody like Fauci and maybe not anybody else, you know, maybe not not too many other people, but somebody like him, who Carrie Mullis, Binkley was telling us about, and I'd read it myself, too, called out by name over the bad medicine that surrounded the AIDS protocols and the fact that Fauci was the one who led the charge on getting everybody AZT, even though similar to ventilators. It was considered a last resort treatment, and when you make that same mistake twice and you get promoted for it both times, I ha- it, it, you know, it makes me think of the the power as being way more sinister than anybody. You know, it just it's uncomfortable to even think that way, but it it's there's no way around it.
2: You make a good point about the drugs that they prescribe. There's conditions, at least this was the case when my mom was in the ICU, is. These conditions you have to meet before you can attempt to wean off the ventilator. And the more drugs that you're given, the harder it is for you to meet those conditions. So if you're given pain medication or some other medication to to calm everything, that's going to affect your blood pressure, your your heart rate, everything. And if those things aren't in the right spot for a long enough period of time, then you, you, know, you can't even attempt to get off the ventilator. So The first part of it was okay, have to go a certain period of time without taking this pain medication or or whatever the medication was. But the problem is that they do get overworked in some ICUs. And so I'm not blaming them, it's chaotic in there sometimes. And their solution, if somebody is just in a lot of pain or if there's an issue, is to just give them morphine or give them some sort of medicine which sets everything, the timeline for everything back. And the timeline of getting off a ventilator is crucial. It is, it is crucial because the longer you're on it, the harder.
1: You know, they give people morphine when they go into hospice. Yeah. You know, that's what they give you because it isn't, it isn't a healing thing. And I mean, that's that's the problem with all this is it it's and it's like Obamacare, we were talking about when we talked to carwood like i I don't think Obamacare is about health. I think it's about physical dependence on the system, just the way I think Social security was meant to transfer and I, I think Bismarck said it to the Kaiser, like we need things like social security so people become dependent on us, take their savings away, and hang on to it, and then when they and also that's been credited in totally. Neutral objective economics papers from the mainstream sources. When you start with social security, people don't live with their kids anymore. And then you have this disconnection and that in itself, you know, it's all about subordinating, you know, it's every policy is meant to promote the state structure. It seems like to me. And, and the Obamacare thing is no different. I don't feel like that it's about making people healthier at all and and it may simply be about surveillance it may be about keeping track of everybody but i also feel like the more they get people on stuff they need medicine they need to stay alive like that's what i think about diabetics and transgender people they're getting you on medicine that becomes a part of your biology And if the grid goes down or your payments stop or you can't get to the pharmacy or your um, digi dollar social credit score gets revoked. And then the more so if these that's why I'm suspicious about these vaccinations is that I'd already recognized a pattern where they wanted you to have to show up to live. And I'm afraid if they are saying you need two a year And I don't need it. You know, I don't need it to stay healthy. So what is it for?
2: (laughs) Well, they have to track you and keep a database when they do, too, because they give you a reminder. So they keep the CDC is going to be keeping everybody's information so that they can let you know when the time is to get the second one and so that they can know that you're not mixing vaccines from different companies.
0: Well, you were also talking about the limited liability for the vaccine manufacturers. And and not only that, but it's. I remember when this happened, I, I'm actually, I'm a medical malpractice attorney is part of, Oh, uh, part of what the firm works on. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure you guys know that it, how hard it is to sue a healthcare provider is, is insane. And yeah. because there's this, there's this idea of among punk, the public consciousness. It happened around the eighties or nineties when the McDonald's hot coffee case came and, and this idea of tort reform came about. Yes. And and I didn't realize until I went through law school that the the hot coffee lady died from her injury. I mean, she never recovered from that. I don't know if you guys know that.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. And I I also went to law school yeah. and I remember that and I came away from law school thinking torts are the it's the best thing. Like, to, right, yeah. it is the only way to not have to to make laws about absolutely everything. It's the only way not to have to anticipate And it's the only way where you're never going to have a hypothetical. Every single law, every single precedent is about an actual case that happened. And quite often it's a totally uh, legitimate dispute as to who's responsible for what, where the beginning of one person's rights end and another begins. You know, all those like common law in general, but the tort law, it gets you to hold accountable people without having to have a bunch of regulatory barriers, a bunch of regulatory costs for compliance and all that. I just love the tort. And I never even thought there needed to be tort reform. I was like, that's fine. I remember when that chick at Baker McKenzie, like the guy reached into her breast pocket to pick out M&Ms. Remember that one? Well, you're too young, but you might've remembered the story. It was the biggest, it, it was the biggest sexual harassment suit ever. And I was working as a law, you know, summer intern in law school. And he got
2: M&Ms out of her breast pocket.
1: That's what he did. That was, yeah. And, and she won and we were always taught, like, so I also went to business school and we were taught, if you're going to sue somebody for that, you better be sure you're going to win because you're never going to work again. And the funny yeah. thing is the lost, law, the law, the law school, the uh, law firms didn't really straighten up in my experience, but the bank, so then I went and worked in an investment bank. And they would give the same speech. I was one of only, there was like two women out of the 40 people in my class and they gave the same speech. So it was, it was meant for the men. They didn't even see me in the room, probably. And they said, Hey man, we care too much about money. Like the last thing you want to do is give up your bonus because you get fresh with your secretary and like we all go down with you. And they were hyper vigilant. They were huge a-holes, but they were hyper vigilant about that. Because they did not want to have to pay. And I'm, you know, the sexual harassment thing, it gets a little like if a guy owns a 7-Eleven and he wants you to sleep with him for the $8 an hour job to run the cash register and you actually do it. I mean, you know, whatever. That's like between you and him as far as I'm concerned. But it's unlikely that's going to happen. But when it starts to get to be corporate and they make assurances that if you work here, you will not be harassed, you know, then it then I can see how that stuff has some value. But I but I always thought, I mean, it really keeps people in line. It's not complicated. It gives you personal empowerment. I like it.
0: I I do, too. I think it's a great solution. But what the way the state has come in and bastardized uh, the common law, it's I had someone on, I was just talking about this, another attorney friend of mine. He was talking about, and Kinsella said this too, is that what the state does is they've taken the common law and they've made the common law revolve around statutory law. So the common law, it's a string of decisions based off of judges interpreting a statute. And I like, so for instance, like in Wisconsin, they've, they've, a few years ago, they changed the definition of informed consent, the standard of care is not what a patient would want to know about a given procedure. It's what a doctor would normally tell a patient. So the yeah, it, medical
1: malpractice is the thing that makes me crazy because it's about the standard, the standard laid down by a totally captured industry group. Right. So right. you can't yeah. you can you can't get sued for doing terrible things that the AMA recommends. Yes. But you yeah. can get sued for doing smart things that have a 90 percent chance of working if one in 10 people it doesn't work for. So that just results in terrible medicine. And and let me just bring up a different thing for a sec in the same lines. And I oh, I try to make this clear to myself and I'm not sure I always thought it through. Right. But there was a case. It's a big Baptist church, which I think is there just to create problems i forget the name of it because of the w and they had a case where is it westboro baptist
0: church sorry is it is it westboro baptist yeah i
1: think so okay yeah so they had the case where they went to the funeral of a gay soldier who i believe died in the line of duty and they harassed the family at that time and when the family sued for intentional infliction of emotional distress, which it was, they were not allowed to recover because the First Amendment. And to me, that's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. So when people say, well, you can't, the First Amendment isn't unlimited, because if you're in a crowded theater and you cause, call fire, you could get people hurt. And my answer is, yeah, but you don't go for prior restraint. You don't say these are the things you can't say in a theater. What you do is you hold that individual responsible for the damage he's done. That's what you do. So he has the right to say it. You can't hold him down and tape his mouth shut because you think he might say it, but he has to pay. So I thought that that was a setup for regulating free speech because you said, look at all this pain and suffering you can cause someone and i and i'm just curious to know and then i have one other question for you if you think that that am i from what i'm telling you am i reading it right or do you think they should not have been able to recover for what was clearly intentional infliction of emotional distress
0: well when i'm thinking about the elements going back to like 1l law school about what the elements are yeah um, it wasn't it an issue in the case that they the Westboro Baptist folks were on public property and that's what the case turned on
1: uh, I think so and I'll tell you why I think, I think that that's because correct. In, yeah. in another case that's also true but it doesn't you know but I but that so that's why they have a right to say what they want to say. however, they don't have a right to avoid the consequences for inflicting damage
0: well i guess you could say that it. i'm not so i don't actually believe in think that free speech is a right i think well like of course the government can't you know punish you for speaking freely i I guess you could make the argument that it's like a verbal act that it's not free speech what they're saying is not free speech but it's the verbal act of harassing someone which is the conduct that's banned maybe that's how you get around the first Amendment. You, you know what I mean?
1: Yes, I think that's what they want to do with it. Yeah. But I would say you never have to ban anything. or well, You don't have to ban people saying that Hillary Clinton drinks baby's blood. You just have to let her sue them.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that. that's what I think of that. But I... I I want to make one other point that I don't actually think anything is a right except for Mm self-defense. So like you have the right to defend yourself. And other than that, you just do what you do Mm -hmm. and other people can defend themselves. You can't encroach. I mean, it's like a weird way of thinking Mm -hmm. of it, but you know what, what do you have the right? Do I have the right to smoke pot or do I have the right not to smoke pot? Like what's that? What is that? Is that a right? Yeah.
2: But you You don't have the right not to smoke pot.
1: You don't have the right not to smoke pot. You do. That's
2: where this is going in, in the way the country is right now.
1: Yeah, right. If it's not banned, it's it's required. And the this is the last thing I want to ask you.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well well before well, you do, lawyer-wise. I I yeah. wanted to
0: throw this out. That case about that everyone cites about yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. Yeah. That was an analogy made about saying fuck the draft. I'm pretty sure. It would the case where that analogy was made was actually someone protesting the draft.
1: Wow. So they were actually using their First Amendment right for the exact purpose it was designed. Similarly, Bill Cosby lost his right to a sealed record in, a, in the deposition that got him put in jail because they said his constant political speech qualified him as a as a public figure tantamount to a politician. Really. <laughs> so what was supposed? Yeah. So what's supposed to to expose politicians to our scrutiny was used against a citizen using. They said he has no rights to privacy because he oh. decided to become public in the political sphere. But here's So Stephen
2: I, Colbert, that should apply to as well. Every comedian you see on late night TV, that same reasoning would apply to. I would think. I don't know if they're guilty of anything, but. Probably.
1: Yeah. Probably. No, I, totally. no, it makes no sense at all. So this is the last thing I'll ask you. So when I was looking into how that works, so the Westboro thing came up because I was looking into getting like my WordPress site was removed and it wasn't fair at all. And they tricked me into it. It's a long story. But the thing that and I looked into it and this idea that like. At the grocery store, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I just remember the the grocery store is always saying, like, we do not support the people who are soliciting in front of our doors. They're giving you flyers, whatever, but we're not allowed to stop them because of the First Amendment. So I went in and I found I think it was like some fairground or whatever where that case, like where that precedent was set. And. Uh, or it was a fairground. And then another one was in a parking lot. And the idea was that those places were quite, relied on calling the cops. If things went wrong, therefore they were effectively public. And so you had rights as if it were public property, which is complete crap. I don't agree with that. And it makes me just not want to call the cops, which, and I, I would sign something to say, I'm not, you know, I, we don't call the cops here. And then of course that gives you a two tiered society, you know, like a third world in kind of society. But I was thinking that for Twitter, surely Twitter and WordPress and Facebook rely on patents that are protected in the courts with patent law, with intellectual property law. If they use our legal infrastructure to protect the platform, which that's not even to start by saying it is a platform whose essential nature is speech, unlike Publix or parking lot or fairground it is it, it is now has a monopoly on the public space. Like we've been forced onto it. Like the government has shut down the public sp- space and these things, which have not only been fostered by technology contests and stuff that are paid for by DARPA, all that, even, not, even outside of that, they rely on patents that are protected through the courts. And if they don't want to be if they if they want to give up on those patents, OK, then maybe, you know, if they want to give up on all protections like that. But, I, you know, I just I feel like there's something really hypocritical about or inconsistent about the fact that you can hand out political flyers at the grocery store. But I can't make political speech on a political platform that's protected equally And I, I never, you know, I never heard anybody talk about it that way, but I can't, I can't think of, you know, I can't think of how you're allowed to do that at the grocery store, but not on Twitter.
2: They used to have these free speech zones on college campuses. Maybe they still do. And I remember when I was in college, there was a guy who would just come to the free speech zone and just shout the most vile things he was preaching, but in his preaching, He's calling people fat whores. He's calling them promiscuous. He, he's every insult you can think of. He's just shouting at strangers and he's allowed to because he's in the free speech zone. I, I liked it. I'd go over there and heckle him back, but a lot of other people didn't like it.
0: Well, I, I don't think it has to make sense. I mean, this goes along with the COVID narrative is that I think it's calculated not to make sense. Yeah. So, but, but the courts do this all the time. I mean, you, they have that crazy backdoor and but uh, logical consistency isn't part of it. Like, for example, um, the foundation of informed consent law is based on this case called Canterbury versus Spence. and I'd have to bring up the citation to give it. But in Canterbury versus Spence, I think it's a D.C. case. Um, the court said that while well, they grounded basically informed consent in tort law, it's kind of it's a battery. If you don't give, if you don't give permission for the procedure to take place, the doctor is committing a battery against you. Well, they, the cornerstone of this is based on bodily autonomy or the idea, and the judge says it right in the opinion that everyone has the, the, um, the right to say what is done to their body. Well, how, how come? How can we uphold, you know, marijuana legalization then because of that? Or how could we have forced vaccination? Or I, I I can think of so many other things it would apply to.
1: Yeah, pot laws totally violate Roe versus Wade. Pot laws? Right. Yeah, laws against yeah. marijuana use violate Roe versus Wade, Yeah, in my opinion. You know, Roe versus Wade is, is established as a right to privacy, constitutional rights to privacy. Right. If you grow it in your backyard and you put it in your body, I can't see how having an abortion doesn't violate you know what i mean right. that that's less
0: or have have you heard the argument that um the income well i think it was the income tax violates the fourth amendment i don't know if that was an erwin schiff argument or something like that you know erwin peter Schiff's yeah
1: dad. yeah i know who he is yeah he died i think didn't
0: he? yeah he passed it was something about, you know, like, like ta- federal taxation violates the Fourth Amendment because then you have to divulge all of your your assets. Like oh, information, yeah. Without, you know, due process. Well, maybe they'd say it was, you know, they'd structure yeah, yeah. it into something. Well,
1: without I mean, due process, they make stuff up about due process. Right, yeah. Due process <laughs> means I mean, how, they don't can't just make up what due process is and then tell you you have to go along with it. You have to be like accused of something and.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or or without reasonable suspicion.
1: Yeah, you're right. You just brought my feedback down to earth because it is all totally inconsistent. It just, you know, I guess I feel satisfied when I hear people talking about the inconsistencies, which in themselves, you know, that's probably just a way to vent it. And then that's even worse because then I'm just like, well, everybody, you know, like when Justin Amash used to fight for. Um, what was his thing? I was so happy with him and everybody else caved. I think it was the USA Freedom Act. Uh, And it looked like he was fighting the good fight and that somebody was there fighting the good fight. And then he just, you know, oh, well, democracy, you know, and he lost. And then but it, it had made me feel good that he was there fighting. What what happened to him?
0: I don't know. I don't know about him long enough to, to have an opinion one way. He's he's a blue pilled libertarian. I mean,
1: I don't know. Yeah. He used to, though, on his Facebook page, explain the constitutional background for every one of his decisions. Oh, did he? And yes. And I used to go to it. I used to go all the time. And then, like, within a short period of time, he decided that Trump should be impeached and that he was Russia independent. Yeah. He's and then, but but then he stopped putting the constitutional basis for his decisions on his Facebook page. Oh. I don't care about the other stuff, but I just—it
2: was very very drastic, yeah. The change. So yeah. somebody to probably like got it. to him. Somebody That's probably what I compromised think. him in some way.
1: Yeah, I I was. And I say
2: that stuff. People think you're crazy when you talking about compromising. It's in the CIA manual. They talk about. Compromising people, strategies, manipulation, deception, uh, getting leverage over people—that that is—that is, that they are trained to do these things.
0: Do you do you have a link to that, Binkley? I have. I've I wanted it.
2: Send you a link later if you. One of them is I think it's called the. One of them is the OSS morale manual. That's one of the older ones. Field field guide morale manual. Another one is. The more modern ones I'd have to find, but if you go to the CIA's website, they have all these manuals on oh, there, I'm too, sure. and okay. you can look through the different operation manuals, but I can find you a link and send it to you later. Well, of then.
0: course, it's all open source. I mean, that's just how it is. You yeah. just got to open your eyes and look.
1: Yeah, it, it, that is so freaky to me. It 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 makes me wonder if there. it's like the Great Reset, which was preceded by the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And all the other stuff that they always wrote. And I just I wonder what they're up to. Are they laughing? It's like the report from Iron Mountain, which I've been talking about a lot lately, because it's like as real as The Matrix or Demolition Man. It's just absolutely what's happening right now. And the book opens. It's supposedly I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's supposedly a, a book that is a round table discussion or conference where they tried to figure out if there was a way to keep the hierarchy in place without the constant threat of war, because people might not believe in the threat of war once nukes were a reality. And people have sworn that it's real, even if it's not real, it's real enough. But in the opening, in the introduction, it said, look, I'm not even revealing anything. I was in these meetings and I'm writing this. Uh, We weren't even sworn to secrecy. Because the thinking being if it's if it's secret and it gets out, it's even more damaging. But if it just gets out, people aren't going to do anything about it. And it was on The New York Times bestseller in the 60s. Everybody (laughs) knew.
0: Yeah, well, one one people, one person that it's this whole situation has kind of gotten to is my mom. And my mom's a very intelligent person. And she um I don't know what it was. It, it just all of a sudden a light switch seeing everything happen. But I'm trying to can like bring the same logic to the terror war and say, well, do you think this this didn't all just start now? And I, I'm i seeing how uh, effective that's been.
1: But and I, the drug war, you yeah. know, the drug war might be even more informative because when you look at Gary Webb or you look at the Iran Contra thing, if you look at Mina, if you look at all that stuff. Even Operation Fast and Furious had to do with that. You can say, "Look, they're the ones scaring us about the drugs and the the drug dealers, and they're in league with them." And that's also true with the terrorists, and I think it's also true with the event two hundred one thing.
0: Yeah, uh, and it, it's all it's all out there too. I I remember when I I coincidentally i just had scott horton on to talk about iran contra and that's going to drop right before this one drops um but um, oh great that, i can't
1: wait to listen to that that, one.
0: that was a good one we did like and explain like i'm five because i'm really new at this foreign policy but um i read um I, I i i was amazed by how much i didn't know about recent military history and i i read america's war for the greater middle east by um Bacevich colonel andrew basevich and it he just lays everything out all this mainstream media that it blew my mind to find out that we were in league with saddam hussein in the 80s and i i mean just that was one thing and, and
1: osama bin laden in the 70s right in the
0: muhajadeen <laughs> as well and that blew my mind i mean it just it's
1: all in evidence it's all documented yeah and then and then you'll lay that out and you know what they say well then we lost control of it. Right. <laughs> it's like really is that really what happens Then why don't we have a rule where we don't ever sell weapons to anyone? Yeah. Okay? Can we just do that and then we don't have a problem, right?
0: It, well, like I was saying, uh, the everything it's all calculated to be as confusing as possible, I think. It, that just adds to the the whirlwind of it. But I didn't know that will I didn't know that World Trade Center building 5 or was it 7? seven Seven. that seven had collapsed until 2017
1: 2016 i didn't know (laughs) i didn't know i i was not red-pilled until i think 2013 yeah So I didn't know. I used to, I was on the radio and I would say, it's not like I think 9-11 is an inside job. I just happened to like investigate the Boston Marathon. And then actually it was the Boston Marathon bombing. I was like, well, if they did that. (laughs) That's
2: funny. that You questioned the Boston Marathon bombing bombing before 9-11.
1: I might've just, cause I was unplugged. Like I've always hated the news. Like I was years into my WSB show before I could even, think about the news. I would read the news the day before and just pick something. And then this was one of those things. And I was like, wait a second, this this story doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I didn't never really dug into anything. And I'll tell you, if I didn't have that show, I don't think I ever would have dug into any of this stuff. None. Zero. I, I don't know what would have woken me up because I hate the news. It takes the news. You know, this stuff doesn't exist. It's all it's I mean, people die in these false flags, but it is. It's just all screens. And then I go like way, like the rabbit hole inside the rabbit hole, and I'm reading Ted Kaczynski. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, all right, I got to just, I got to learn how to grow stuff. <laughs> you yeah. know? And then, and then I realized that I was born in Brooklyn and I'm getting old and that's never going to happen. And then I just make a cocktail.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's crazy how one event can totally change. Like I was into Ron Paul. Okay. I was, I was like, a Young Americans for Liberty kid in 2011 and 12, but I wasn't an ANCAP, you know, and then I had a roommate who just happened to uh, listen to Stefan Molnou back in 2011 and introduced me to him. And then all of a sudden, I mean, but if I hadn't met him, I probably would have never gotten into this. But uh Brad, what was your,
2: your kind of origin red pill story? I was always into conspiracies yeah. even as a kid, but, when I started reading Edward Bernays books in like 2012, probably maybe even a little bit before that, I just started really questioning the news even more than than like, I already didn't like it. I already didn't really believe what they were. It just didn't feel truthful, but just the level of deception. I I didn't really open my eyes eyes to until I started reading his stuff, crystallizing public opinion. Probably opened my eyes more than his book, Propaganda. But from there, I read Engineering of Consent. And then I started looking at all the footnotes and, and all the, the other books that he cites. I started reading all those and then reading about World it's War I. And notes. then you just, yeah, it's never ending. It's, it's just like, wow, everything's, the, ma- yeah. everything's made up. Nothing's real in history, anyway. Yeah, the history is just so far from the reality that we learn. It's not even close.
0: I was reading – as an example, I was reading Ralph Rako, um, and he had a great – his book about great leaders, and he was talking about how um, Winston Churchill – that I don't know if it was FDR was so concerned with Winston Churchill trying to drag the United States into war. Of course, he was on board, but to the point yeah. where – no, it wasn't FDR. I'm sorry. It was someone up in his administration, but they were so worried that he was going to drag the U.S. into war that they were inspecting U.S. ships – coming into port thinking that Churchill was going to plant a bomb on one of the ships and say, I'll have to send you the, a screenshot.
1: Well, after the Lusitania, I think that was a Churchill plot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I, I don't, I can't remember the context. Of course, FDR wasn't, you know, he wasn't avoiding war, but.
1: Well, I, if you read backdoor to war, it has all the state department documents that I I think point right to FDR getting us into that.
0: Reiko got into that in this book. Oh, so, I'll, get into I'll that? send you the when, yeah.
1: Now that you mention it, that's we know that. We know the thing about the Lusitania. There is documentary evidence, maybe not directly pointing at Churchill, although I think there is, but we know what happened there. And then I read a book. Um, it was so old it was actually like a little or like kind of offensive. Uh, you know, they just <laughs> Yeah. Anything that was happening during World War II, like just ugh. Sometimes I just can't deal with it, but it did have a relevant portion, which was, I think it was called The Greatest Story Never Told. And it talked about Churchill being there on the day the market crashed in 1929. And he, like Bernard Baruch was showing him, look, check it out, <laughs> you know, look what's going to happen. And that's how I was reading, I was doing some bio stuff on Carlos Slim once, and he was saying how his father taught him that like, you just wait for the crash and then you buy and then... There's always gonna be a crash, and that's when you buy and have some dry powder and whatever. And when you talk about like, the Lusitania and and people still question the thing about the you know, 1929 crash, it seems so obvious that if there they're going to sink a ship. They sink that ship. I mean, how else do you just transfer? You know, you tell people that they can participate in the, in the stock market and make capitalism more palatable to the masses. And you're a part of this. And like, I still legitimately believe that, like, that's a great system to get people, the labor to be a part of, you know, get those kind of returns. I, I like the idea, but. If it's a fraud, you know, if it's a scam and they get to control when it crashes and they know in advance and then scoop it all up, which is exactly what's happening right now. But even now, it's at the level of actual small, but you don't even have to be in the stock market. They literally crashed your small business. They crashed your retirement home. They crashed your little, you know, the the apartment you rent in your backyard. They like crashed everything. And and that already they were already hijacking that whole participation in in stock ownership by having the stakeholder concept where you can't just buy target. You have to buy target with with gender-neutral bathrooms. Like yeah. you, you know. So that's a
2: great we, reset. That's what the great yeah. reset is pushing down is those ESG standards, environmental social standards that they it's kind of like a worldwide social credit score, where you have to report back to them, this is what they want to set up anyway, you have to report back to them, these social justice, green measures that you are implementing in your business, and they call it the the stakeholders.
1: And it would cripple, it would cripple mom and pop shops. Yeah, mom and pop shops wouldn't and couldn't do it. So they get this, they can, you know, I just think of the whole, like, if you had a a pyramid of wealth with wealth at the bottom, you know, as it grows over the years, over the decades, the little guy, you know, starts to get ahead, starts to get ahead. And then they just collapse it and, you know, it pushes up. And then, you know, you started it all over again. And I just feel like that's what they're, that's what they're doing right now. But I, I mean, I, I only was clicking with the Lusitania analogy. I mean, it's the exact same thing. And what Charlie Robinson just had that book with, Jeff Berwick, that is called The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. And this looks so similar to the 9-11 controlled demolition, but of the economy. And they wrote that book before this year, which is funny (laughs) to me. But it was so exactly what this is. It's just the controlled demolition of of our economy. It's so, so amazing to me how little power we have. So you were saying you went from libertarian to ANCAP. And I've had to go from ANCAP to agorism, philosophical agorist, because I can't stand behind capital anymore. Capital is no longer a neutral thing. Capital is totally controlled. They're going to digitize it. They federalize it. They're the modern monetary theory, like converting. It's the when you talk about Hayek, which was the foundation, his theory of prices. I think it was Hayek. um, Right. Price theory that that was the basis for Wiki, that that all information can flow through a single point in a certain way. So like the the theory of prices is that the pencil only gets on the shelf if five cents, if it can get there for five cents, because that's all people are going to pay for it. And every single transaction adds information into the system. And, uh, and it's so, it's so great. Like I used to say cost accounting is the source of all surplus wealth, like to be able to allocate, resources to the penny to their highest and best use is like the source of all human leisure you know and now I, you can't do it because it's i feel like they capture it completely they've and and i and i actually always thought that with restaurants and waitresses i was like you know there's just too much money on the table there for like the little restaurant holder for the little waitress and they're this this round they're taking that away and i just feel like Once It's kind of like when I discovered that the U.S. Constitution put into place, like the the idea of a self-limiting government is a utopian fantasy. Because once you put that central control in place or the potential for it, it will get hijacked. It will get levered. Same thing, once you've converted all of your efforts to the coin of the realm, not gold, gold I'm okay with, but, you know, the coin of the realm. You've divorced it from any ability for you to really own it anymore. And so now the ANCAP thing kind of, you know, makes me sad. But I think I have to move on.
0: Yeah, I kind of I feel you there. And I guess I'm so used to using the term. I'm like, well, I've I've always at the original it was like voluntarism. You know, I'm an agorist, too, but they're not interchangeable, I don't think. And maybe I've been using them that way.
1: No, I always did, too. But I I always did, too, until this year when I looked around and I was like, they have just decided that I might not get food this week. Like, I don't know. They can just turn off food. They turned off. They can just turn it off. And so now uh, real liberty cannot come from uh, a system that I have absolutely no control over and no ability to plug in or plug out of. Mm -hmm. So I recognize now that I am totally a slave to this system a complete captive to this system and i feel like that awakening is the best i i can do right now but part of that is to try to understand the distinction between those terms i mean i'm not ready yet i'm not an agorist i cannot i don't know what i could literally cannot grow a tomato like looking out at my barren backyard like i tried to grow a tomato i tried (laughs) i tried last summer too i just i can't but I, but I, I know I should, like, this is my 2020, what were we talking about the other day, Binkley, the white pill, my 2020 white pill, <laughs> I should be able to grow something. And that's, that's all I got out of this year's assignment. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's it. That's baby steps.
0: Well, we, we can yeah. all start with neighbors feed and seed. Right. And then baby right, steps. Yeah. There.
1: He actually sent me a box of stuff. Literally. Like it's a pot it's, that is, yeah. that is like biodegradable. So it's like just, Take the pot,
2: put, put the, the seed in
1: it, and bury the simplest the pot thing possible in the dirt and it's just sitting there on my counter with me going I don't know what to do. I'm supposed like, to do
2: what with it? I
1: know, because they're like different seeds. I'm like, which what? Do you put all the seeds in? Or is it seed?
0: I, I think the <laughs> I rookie Brooklyn. The rookie mistake I made was putting a tomato plant in a pot. Apparently, there—that's not enough room right. for the roots. So
1: that's what we did. No, it's yeah. it—it's too hot or something. Yeah, we got like my, one looked like a cherry tomato. It was supposed to be a beefsteak.
2: I was at my friend's house and she was like, "Do you want some basil?" And I was like, "Yeah, basil." And I took where where did that come from? And she goes, "Oh, the plant over there." And I was like, <laughs> You're eating from that plant in your house. <laughs> You're disgusting. just eating right <laughs> off of that. She's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Really?" Like, that's so cool. Oh, I'm like, I'm
1: gonna, like sleep a little bit. I'm like, oh, "There's like bugs on it." I don't it's know. Like,
2: wow, it is possible.
1: You no, know, I'm. I am. I'm much better now because you can use. Uh, I often find myself needing mint for my cocktails, so I'm like in the dark outside. Feel like come out. It's like dirt. I'm like just shaking it off. <laughs> Throwing it in there thinking, you know, germs are good. I, I, you know, right. my, that's another thing. Germs are good. Yeah. There's a little 2020 thing. Germs are good.
0: Well, my uncles always said at hunting camp, they said, uh, you eat a ton of dirt in your life. And so they'd pick up the coffee cup and just blow it out and, yeah, go for coffee. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, I've really enjoyed having you guys on and I, I really appreciate your time. It's been a great conversation and it's great to meet you guys. <laughs> good to it's meet been, you as
1: well. It's fun. And, absolute pleasure what fun stuff and uh i hope you know i talk everybody's ear off but that's my thing oh
0: yeah well (laughs) same here that's it means we're we're uniquely suited for what we're doing so that's great yes
1: this is this is my lemonade this is all right i used to be a negative
0: uh, anything (laughs) that you guys want to plug before i let you go
2: Check us out at ThePropReport.com, any podcasting platform. You can find us under the Propaganda Report podcast feed, Drive Time News Blast, our daily show, the Propaganda Report deep dives we do at Rockfin. We do video deep dives where we kind of pull back the veil on those think tanks and their world domination plans. And you can find me at at Freedom Act Radio on Twitter and Monica at the Monica Press Show on Twitter.
1: And we also do cocktail parties for our patrons. So Mm patreon.com slash propaganda report. We'll send you an invitation this Friday, Patrick, if you're around. Oh, hell yes. It's really fun. And you don't have to, you can just sit back and watch us get, us get stupid and keep, it's actually better (laughs) than a real party because like, there's no pressure whatsoever. And you're just, you know, get to chit chat. So Anyway, that's on the, that's on our Patreon, but I will see you there, Patrick. Hell yeah.
0: That would be awesome. Well, thank you. And show notes will be a libertyweekly.net forward slash 145. I'm going to, I'm going to drop everything that I can find from our conversation. So it'll be great. Awesome.
1: All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Thanks a lot, man.